We are our own worst critics, and sometimes when you fall down the rabbit hole of self-criticism, you get lost. But Dr. Srikumar Rao is joining us today to teach us how to stop that negative mental chatter and improve our outlook in life on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello once again and greetings. I am your host, J.R. Houston, and this is the Live Happy Now podcast. Thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. We are pleased to be a part of your day. And there's another way, by the way, that you can make Live Happy a part of your day. I'm talking, of course, about the magazine where we not only get our name, but we get several of our ideas. I'm not ashamed to admit that we steal things from our fantastic writers. Their work can be found in the magazine on newsstands everywhere. Also, it's available in a digital edition. So if you're someone who likes to you e-read. You can get it in the Apple Store or on the Google Play Store, and you can even put it on your phones now with all the special features that the digital edition has been known for over the years. Please download it. Please subscribe. Please pick it up at your nearest newsstand. It's Live Happy Magazine, and we are proud to be partnered with them. And we're also proud of this episode of the Live Happy Now podcast. You may remember back in season one, we talked to Dr. Srikumar Rao, and he is back. Love talking to this guy. I really do. He's joining us, and he's conceived and innovated the creativity and personal mastery course that has helped thousands of executives and entrepreneurs all over the world discover deep meaning in their work. And today we look at stopping our biggest critic, ourselves. Dr. Rao, we are so pleased that you had uh, some time with us today. Last time we talked, we had so much that I felt that we could dive into, and I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into some of the subjects that we started hitting on uh, at, at the last podcast. One thing I want to know is why do we all care so much about what other people think about us, and, and, and what can we benefit from letting go of that of that uh, care or that desire to know? <laughs> okay. It's basically an ego thing that has been implanted on us from a very young age, JR. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, when we are very young, we notice that our parents come alive and become happy when somebody says that we did something or they appreciate us. If you're a parent and somebody says nice things about your kids, you immediately come alive, you bloom. And kids kind of notice that, and it kind of gets ingrained in each one of us that it's good to be thought well of by others. And from there, it's just a small step to, you know, I should organize my life so that others think well of me. So I should present this facade, because when I present this facade, I think that others will like me. So bit by bit, we create a life in which we are very dependent on what others perceive us as 
and therefore whether they reward us with their appreciation, love, uh, liking, and so on. That's the way by which we actually become prisoners of not of what other people think of us, but of what we think they think of us. Mm. And that really is a very terrible way to live. Now, uh, when I take, uh, <clears throat> when I run my programs, many, I've, before I start the program, I frequently have persons, in fact, I always have persons tell me, what are the concerns in your life? What is it that you would like to get out of the program? And many of them admit that they are concerned about what other people think about them. And I really have a very simple answer to that. JR, tell me, are you concerned about what people think about you? Uh, to a degree. I think I think as I've gotten older, I've cared less as long as I feel like I know what I'm doing is for the better good or for the greater good. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, to you a degree. You have a very healthy attitude, JR. <laughs> but, le but let me tell you what other people are thinking about you, okay? Okay. They are not thinking about you that's that's probably good for them <laughs> See, the point is we go through life and we are desperately involved in watching the movie of our life and mm. we think that everybody is watching the movie of our life but they're not they're watching the movie of their life and in the movie of their life you have a bit part if you have any role at all so recognize that and don't get hung up in terms of what people are thinking about you. Simply start acting naturally and let your instincts of love, of helping other people, of being a good human being emerge. And this is a, an, an easily attainable skill. It's like r learning to ride a bicycle, but you have to be conscious of it and you have to practice it. Do you think, and this is something that I think is coming up a lot, especially here in the United States with an election and all the divisiveness that can happen during that season, do you think that recognizing that you are basically the protagonist of your own story and nobody else is worried about your own story can lead to better empathy when you realize that you are not the star of, of the world or the center of the universe? Absolutely. In fact, uh, it is a requirement for anybody who is to be a truly authentic, successful leader. It's not just a, a good thing to have. I would say that it is a requirement. Here's something, JR, that would make a lot of sense to uh, your listeners. Many of us would like to be good public speakers, but we are terrified of speaking in public. Mm -hmm. If you examine the root cause of why are you terrified of speaking, of pub, of speaking in public, it is because you're scared you might, quote, make a fool of yourself, unquote, that people will laugh at you, that they will think less well of you because you flopped, because you made a mistake, something like that. Right. In reality, that is simply being self-absorbed. You're far too concerned about what they think of you. If instead you could genuinely be thinking about what is the message I want to convey, how is this message going to help the persons in the audience, and what is it that I can do to present this message as clearly, lucidly as I can so that it will actually help them? And if that is what you focus on, 
you'll find the fear leaves you. You have to have a certain sense of selflessness for that sort of thing to work out. I think it's what you're saying as well. Yes, except that I wouldn't define it as selflessness. Mm-hmm. It is because selflessness, again, means thinking not in terms of self. I would define it as, hey, you're put, in earth, put on this earth as a human being to be of service. Mm. So be of the maximum service you're capable of. Be as good as you possibly can be at delivering that service. And as you do that, thoughts of self drop away naturally. I completely agree with that. I think one thing that also caring what other people think about you or how they view you can lead to negative self-talk, right? You beat yourself up if you do things or if you do make that mistake in a public speaking situation or if you uh, do make some sort of error in your life, you can beat yourself up for it. How can we overcome that sort of mindset and that sort of uh, habit? Well, go back to what I talked about in the first interview we had, and I talked about mental chatter, which is this internal monologue that we have going on in our heads all the time. Mm -hmm. So the way to combat this particular problem is to become aware of the fact that this is mental chatter and it's going on and it's just a voice in your head. So every time you think, oh my God, I really blew it, I mispronounced words, I jumbled my syllabus, syllables, I was going to make four points, I said I was going to make four points, but I only made three because I forgot the fourth. Mm. All of that is just a thought in your head. So recognize that, step back and watch it and recognize it's just a thought in your head. It has no meaning except what you attribute to it. It's like you're lying on the field and it's a bright sunny day and there are clouds in the sky and you look at the clouds and you see that there are clouds in the sky and very soon they'll be gone and there'll be other clouds. They come and they go. In exactly the same way, these things that you have, which you're beating yourself up, they're just thoughts in your head. They come and they go. So as you start observing them and you think of them as they're just clouds in the sky, they're just thoughts in my head, you'll find that they have less and less power to take you to emotional places, emotional domains that you don't want to go to. It's really quite simple once you practice it and get the hang of it. Yeah, it takes a degree of mindfulness to recognize that, okay, I'm having this negative thought, but it doesn't have to define who I am as a person, right? Not only doesn't have to define, it does not define it. Mm-hmm. The only way to define it is if I choose to let it define it, and I can choose not to let it define it. Uh, let me tell you a story. Uh, there was a, uh, when the Buddha attained enlightenment and he was preaching, he was very, very powerful. So a lot of young people basically left their homes to follow him because the truth he uh, spoke uh, appealed very strongly to them. So there was one time when the Buddha was camped out near near a village and a very rich businessman in that village whose son, and he was hoping that his son would take over the family business and instead the son dropped everything to follow the Buddha. So he came to see the Buddha at the evening meeting and he was very loud and very abusive. He accused the Buddha of being a person who led people astray, that he was uh, encouraging laziness and that his son, who should have been busy working and uh, working in the family business, had dropped everything to go to him and he blamed the Buddha directly for that. It was quite abusive. Mm. And the Buddha listened to him calmly and then asked him, Supposing a visitor came to your house 
and he brought a gift that was odious to you, that was distasteful to you, what would you do? And the man said, I wouldn't take it. And the Buddha said, in exactly the same manner do I not take anything that you have said. Hmm. It's an outright it's rejection. Really that simple. An outright rejection of the negativity. That's interesting. Yes. It really is that simple. I mean, it, it sounds, well, it's got to be more complicated than that because you've got to take the advice. But, but really, the, you can take criticism but not abject negativity. That's exactly correct. And hmm. the point is, the way to do this is to become aware before it happens that such things happen in life, and this is how you're going to relate to it. So if you think about it, yes, someone is going to criticize me, and if they criticize, I'm going to listen to it. If there is something for me to learn in it, I'm going to learn from it, and otherwise I'm going to let it blow by like the idle wind, which I heed not, as Shakespeare said. <laughs> Shakespeare really had a very good handle on most of the human predicaments. He really did. It's, and it's always good for uh, for the podcast when we can get some Shakespeare in there. Kind of class it up a little bit. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's a good way to think of it. Uh, you do a lot of work with with businesses and and companies and and uh, with your with your courses. And one thing that I always find interesting in business is uh, that they they like to encourage teamwork and they like to to do a lot of these things. Uh, but there's very rarely the personal connection um, in those things that is, uh, I guess should be promoted, and that's something that, that you're big on. How can we make those deeper connections with, with folks? Uh, the way you make those deeper connections happen is to talk about important meaning of life issues, which very often we skirt. Mm. So, for example, before I run my programs, I have everybody, before the first time we meet, write a personal essay. And in the personal essay, I ask them to speak about whatever it is that will make them come alive, whatever it is a, that they consider a significant accomplishment, what is, it, what is that part of them that people should know about or they would like people to know about. And that's all. You know, they're free to pick uh, whichever incidents they want from their life and free to reveal as much or as little as they do. And before we meet, everybody has read everybody's personal essay. So though they are strangers when they meet, they're not quite strangers because they've read the personal essays. Hmm. So when you have that as a background, and in addition to that, uh, you drop your mask. And that's something that I actively encourage. Most of us go through life and we put up this big mask, and this big mask is, this is how I want persons to perceive me at. And we never know whether persons perceive us that way or not, but we want them to perceive us that way. And we think if we put on this facade, they will perceive us this way. And most of the time we're wrong. But we do that and we don't recognize what an immense amount of energy, of emotional energy is taken in first putting up that mask and then keeping it up. When you start dropping that mask, you find that there is a huge sense of release. And then you find out that people accept you as you are with all your warts. And, uh, you know, they have their warts too. And then you relate to each other not on the basis of the role that you are playing. 
you know, this person is my boss, this person is my subordinate, this person is just a janitor, so he doesn't count, this person is my wife, this person is my daughter, and so on. So you don't relate to people in terms of the role that they're playing so much as one human being to another. And mm. this is particularly important in a work situation. So when you relate to people as one human being to another, as opposed to the role that you're playing, you find that the connections become much deeper and much more authentic. And I, and I think that, that when you talk about these roles, I think it can be harmful in, in the roles. I mean, obviously, there's got to be a manager and, and those types of things. That's understandable. But if you only treat them as their role, that's quite reductive of, of yes. who that person is. And I always think reductivity of people, if that's even a word, is harmful. It it can't be. There's no good that can come from that. You said it, JR. There are roles, and you're not impervious to the roles. You know, he's my boss, so therefore he's going to have some amount of say in terms of what I do and how much time I spend on it and so on. But that role doesn't interfere with my relating to him as a human being or her as a human being. Mm. And when you recognize that, you find that, yes, you can have good connections and the work gets done on a much, much uh, smoother level which uh, with much less friction. I was going to say, it can kind of eliminate that adversarial plane that sometimes the uh, boss and employee uh, dynamic can have. Exactly. In fact, let me share something with you there. And uh, uh, I've taught at many of the world's top business schools. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've taught at Columbia, at London Business School, at Berkeley, at Kellogg. And a lot of my students then go off and get jobs in the financial services industry. And financial services firms, investment banks, hedge funds, private equity outfits, they're not warm, fuzzy places. Hmm. So you wouldn't believe the number of times I have persons say, oh, my God, Professor Rao, you don't know how bad I have it. You know, what a a toxic boss I have. And uh, uh, what I share with them is, yes, you do have a toxic boss, but that is part of both the challenge and the fun of life. And here's a question I ask them. Can you see that this toxic boss you have, can you see how many unhealthy emotions there are sloshing around in him? Anger, jealousy, insecurity. And they smile and nod, yes, they can easily recognize the toxic emotions that are sloshing around in him. Then I say, look, you only have to deal with this person for maybe a couple of hours a week. He has to live live with himself his whole life. And when I say that, they burst out laughing (laughs) because they recognize, yes, this person has to live with himself his whole life. But that laughing is important because within it, there is the seeds of compassion. And when you recognize that this is a person who's uh, deeply flawed, we're all deeply flawed, but you can recognize the flaws in this person. At the same time, he's still trying with all of that to desperately try try to achieve the same thing you are. You want to live a life which is free of sorrow, you want to live a life where you achieve, where you feel fulfilled. And he's just trying his way of doing that. And you can see very clearly that that is not an appropriate way to do it. But he can't see that. Hmm. So when you do that, you simply see him as a human being stuck in a predicament. And it doesn't mean that you won't try to uh, shield yourself from the possibly adverse effects of his actions, but you will view him differently. And that distaste, anger, rage that is in you will drop away. 
Mm. And when you do that, you'll find that you're able to deal with that person much more effectively and your relationship will change. I think there is so much to be said, and the word that keeps popping into my head with all of this is empathy. Uh, understanding yeah. that people have a, a, a story and, and you don't know what their battles are. And, and so they go into every day with those things that might be weighing them down. And if you can understand that they've got those, then you're able to make those personal connections easier. Exactly correct. How, how, exactly correct. How important are our associations with people and our relationships with those that we're around every single day to our happiness? Uh, they are important because, uh, as the poet says, no man is an island. And uh, one of the things that I do in my program, I'm coming back to you to give you some of the background on that, mm. is I formed it so that there would be an alumni association. To my knowledge, my uh, uh, course is the only one of its kind uh, to have its own alumni association. You know, we have a, a, a an alumni retreat every year. Now, the reason I did that is with uh, because of a concept which I drew from the ancient Buddhist uh, society. And uh, there they had three three pillars. They, there was Buddham Sharanam Gachami, Dhamam Sharanam Gachami, and Sangam Sharanam Gachami. That means I take refuge in the Buddha, the original enlightened teacher. I take refuge in the Dharma, which is the teachings of the enlightened uh, teacher. And the third is I take refuge in the Sangha, which is the community of people on the path. Mm. So there are times when you're down, and when you're down, people on the path with you will lend you a helping shoulder, a shoulder to cry on and a helping hand. And there are times when you're going to be up, and you will lend a helping hand and a shoulder to lean on for somebody else. So that is the concept. It's the same thing in uh, our life. There are people who we can depend on. And what I encourage persons to do is evaluate the persons who are part of your circle. Now, some people you're stuck with, and there's not a whole lot that you can do. And this would include, uh, you know, colleagues at work, your boss, uh, you know, many people who are uh, ties of blood, who are relatives, and so on. But there are also other people whom you are not stuck with. So evaluate what kind of person that is when you are with that person uh what do you talk about what is the emotional domain that you occupy uh, are you left uplifted are you left positive full of hope for the world are you are you do you feel that the best part of you is coming out mm. and those are the people that you should systematically cultivate and sport spend more time with and also, if there is someone in your circle whom you are, quote, stuck with, unquote, and there's uh, nothing you can do to change that, it is incumbent upon you to see if you can bring that person to a higher level of consciousness. Did I share the story of the wolf and the dog the last time, JR? I don't believe so. What's what? I think that uh, sounds interesting, though. What is it? It is a very interesting, and it's a very powerful story. So there are many versions of this story, but I like the one which is which I'm about to share with you. It came from comes from the Native American tradition, mm. and it talks about a young man who's about to grow, who about to take his place as an adult of the tribe, and he is uh, having a conversation with the medicine man as a final rite of passage, and the medicine man says, "Here is a dog, 
loving, kind, trustworthy, intelligent. And here is a wolf, malevolent, vicious, cruel, ready to slash at and kill anything. And the dog and the wolf are fighting. And the dog and the wolf are both inside you. Mm. And the youth asks, which one is going to win? And the medicine man says, whichever one you feed. Now think about it, JR. Inside mm. each one of us, there are altruistic, let's make the world a better place and help everyone we can impulses. And in each one of us, there are, let me grab everything that I can for myself and the devil take the hindmost impulses. And we're all a mixture of both of those. And it is our job to selectively identify and feed the dog in ourselves. Hmm. It's also our, uh, don't make the mistake, by the way, of thinking that you're only going to feed the dog, you're not going to feed the wolf, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> the best that you can hope for is that you'll feed the dog a little bit more than you feed the wolf. So not only is it incumbent upon you to identify and feed the dog in yourself, it's also incumbent upon you to identify and feed the dog in the other person. Very often, we don't even recognize that we're feeding the wolf. Let me give you an example. You're having a bad day at work, and you go to the coffee machine, and you meet a colleague, and you tell him that you're having a bad day at work, and he says, you're having a bad day. Let me tell you about my bad day, and he tells you about his bad day, and then you top it off with other things about your bad day that you didn't say first, and you commiserate on what a terrible place you're living in, uh, that you're both working in, mm. and you go back. And you never recognize that you fed the wolf both in yourself and the other person. Mm. Now, instead, after a few minutes of that, if you say, you know, what you said is correct and we're not having a very good day, what is it that we can do collectively to make sure that this doesn't happen again? What is it within our power that we can use so that uh, this situation does not arise? And if you do that, then you, what, you've do, what you've done is you've started feeding the dog, both in yourself and the other person. So here is a quick rule of thumb for you. Every time you have a conversation with anyone, just ask yourself, did I feed the dog or did I feed the wolf? And just being mindful about it, just asking this question can make a pretty big change in terms of how you relate to other persons. And you'll find gradually that if you're intent on feeding the dog, both in yourself and the other person, you will have a transformative effect on both your lives. I think that's about the best way I've I've heard that internal struggle, the yin and yang sort of thing uh, uh, described. That's a very powerful story. I'm very glad you shared it, and I think it's a perfect way, a perfect thought to leave our listeners with on uh, this particular episode of the podcast with Dr. Srikumar Rao. So glad you had some more time with us. Uh, again, I always feel like when we end these things, there are so many things we could talk about. But uh, hopefully in the in the future, we'll be able to uh, have you on again. And hopefully we'll have uh, uh, much more to discuss by that time. Thank you so much. It would be my pleasure entirely, JR. So just get in touch with Janelle and we'll set up another time to talk if you want, want it and if your listeners want it. Oh, I... I'm sure we all will. That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much again for joining us. And if you'd like a free sketch note of this episode, visit livehappynow.com. And don't forget to join us next week. We are going to be joined by one of our own Live Happy CEO and editorial director, Deborah Heiss. I think she's also running for president, which is probably good news for almost literally everybody. Uh, she's going to be talking with the new issue uh, with us about the new issue of Live Happy Magazine. Happy 
happiness in the brain, and much, much more. Well, if you took anything away from this episode, or if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about on a future episode of Live Happy Now, don't hesitate to give us a call or a jingle or, you know, a message, because we're not going to give out our phone number. That would be crazy. But you can find us on Twitter at LiveHappy, Facebook.com slash LiveHappy, or you can send us an email, podcast at LiveHappy.com. For Dr. Strickamon Rao, I'm J.R. Houston saying thank you so much for helping us to live happy.